chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained like precious with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. By which have been given to us exceedingly great promise, great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So this is just quite a lot in this in this small passage, as there often is in in, in the, the epistles. Um, there can be a lot of um, ideas, a lot of concepts um, that 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 can be hard to digest at sometimes, and and some of them can be quite um, how how do we put it? They can they can seem quite detached from our everyday life. And certainly the first part of this passage, one might make an argument that it, it might seem detached from everyday life. It might seem almost too far-fetched. And then the second part of the passage kind of makes it more concrete into our everyday life. So I want to look at the two, these two different subsections um, and, and see how, how they're, they're, they're linked together. And hopefully this will help us set us on a good footing for the year ahead. And that's essentially uh, why I wanted to read this passage, to give us uh, a good footing uh, for the year ahead. I just want to briefly digress for a minute and uh, just tell you about a story that I, that, I, that I saw on the news. I don't know if you picked it up or picked up on it just at the beginning of the year. We all like to start the year in, 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 in a good footing and, New Year's resolutions, etc. Uh, but I noticed one story that was in the news, quite a big story, you know, although it was probably obscured by, you know, coronavirus and Omnicron and all that sort of stuff. But it was a story about a woman whose New Year did not start particularly well. 
she was her name was Elizabeth Holmes and uh, she had started a company in America in Silicon Valley in 2005 at the age of 21 and the name of the company was Theranos and Theranos means God the God of health and essentially what what the company was set up to do, or what she had set the company up to do, uh, was to create this machine which could analyze your blood straight away and tell you, give you different um, information about the health of your blood, the state of your blood, and the, you know the different components. So you wouldn't have to send off, you know, send your blood away to be tested and wait three weeks or whatever it is to come back and all that. It would do it instantaneously. And this would this would create a complete revolution in, in the whole health industry. It would improve people's health no end. You could straight away have your your blood analyzed medically, and you'd know straight away how, how healthy your, your blood was, and and by by extension how healthy you you were doing. So it was an amazing diagnostic. Uh, the potential to be an amazing diagnostic tool. And she set the company up in 2005 in Silicon Valley. And Silicon Valley, if, if, if you may or may not be aware of it, but it's, you know, it's the place where pretty much all the big tech companies start, Facebook and, and Google and the likes. They all start there. And it's, it's a place, you know, full of money, full of optimism. You know, they're going to change the world and they're going to make a lot of money uh, as, as they do that. And you get a lot of people, you know, trying to start companies and they're looking for investors to invest in these in these companies, you know, because they need money to to uh, to invest if they're going to bring their ideas to, to, to reality. And as I said, there's a lot of optimism in, in, in this in, in this area in Silicon Valley. And there was a lot of optimism around uh, this woman, um, Elizabeth Holmes, her her, her company. Uh, Terranos, so much so that she got $800 million of investment in in the company. $800 million. Uh, Investors were willing to to put the money, take the risk into this new company. And she was only 21 years of age. And at its height, the the company was worth um, just under $10 billion. So it was valued. The company was valued just under ten billion billion dollars, and uh, there was a lot of, shall we say, hype hype around the company. Unfortunately, um, it it became apparent, but not straight away. It became apparent about thirteen years later, in two thousand and eighteen, that the machine that she was talking about, it it either didn't work or it didn't exist. <laughs> and uh, on 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 Monday, on the third of January, she was convicted of of, of fraud on, on three different counts. Uh, had a maximum sentence of twenty years. And essentially, what she'd done, she she had bluffed her way through it, and she made these grand grand claims. And and when she was asked about them, she said, "Well, this is this is only beginning. Wait and see. It's going to get even better." But when people ask, you know, for more information, she would say, well, I can't tell you because it's a trade secret. 
But for 13 years, she made these great claims and uh, it, it trans- transpired that she was she was complete fraud. The reason I, I mention that is I think sometimes we can feel like like we're we're a fraud when we when we look at at, at what's in the uh, the gospels we look what's in, in in the epistles and the claims that are made and if we look at the claims made here by Peter and we compare them to you know our our everyday lives sometimes we can feel well that that's not me you know I, I I, I'm not experiencing that. Um, and then sometimes we can even question our own uh, our own faith, our own salvation, because we see a big difference between what is claimed and what is actual, the actual reality. And I think it's fair to say in, in this epistle that, that Peter is writing, some of the claims he makes, they're, they're beyond... Anything, even you know, Silicon Valley uh, could could claim they're so wild. They're, they're they're hard to believe, and yet we know, obviously, that God is not a man that he should allow, he should lie. So when God says this, it's obviously true. We all, I think, we all we all believe the word of God. There's no doubt that it's true. I think we also all all believe Peter. We don't take Peter to be a, a fraudster or a huckster when he's talking about these things. And in fact, he goes on as, in his epistle to, to say quite clearly that he was there when um, God spoke from heaven about Jesus as saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm pleased. So he, he was an eyewitness because there were people at the time claiming, oh, you know, this, this is nonsense. But Peter was able to say, "No, I was an eye, I was an actual eyewitness of Jesus, and I, I was an eyewitness of His power." And so, we can't really say that that Peter was was a fraud either, because we know he wasn't. He, he had personal, uh, very first hand experience of Jesus. But nevertheless, sometimes we do find it hard to believe these grand claims about ourselves and there are some very big claims that are being made here by Peter about us and the life uh, that that we have in in Christ Jesus so let's go back and look briefly at them so Simon Peter he's saying to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ so the first foundation is that we have this, it's a fate. It is a fate. It's not something we do. It is by the righteousness of God and their Savior, Jesus Christ. And we know that. We know it is because what Jesus did on the cross, the old rugged cross, what Jesus did on the cross, we have righteousness. It is by grace you are saved through faith not by works, lest any man should boast. So we know that we are we have that precious faith with Peter, not because of what we've done, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And he goes on to say, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God 
and our Lord of Jesus, our Lord. So he is saying he's giving a blessing. Grace and peace be multiplied. Would not wouldn't we all love in our lives to have more peace in our lives, to have more grace in our lives, have it multiplied? Wouldn't we love that? Is that what we're experiencing at the moment? It says grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our, of our of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So everything we need, everything we need, we have it through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. By knowing Jesus, by knowing God, we have everything we need not just for heaven, not just for eternity, but for life, life and godliness. We have everything we need through the knowledge, through knowing God, through knowing his son, Jesus. If you know me, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if we know Jesus, we have all these, everything that we need. For now and eternity, we have it. It's an amazing claim, and and it's we have it because God has given His divine power to us. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, as His divine power, His divine power has given us all things. He has given us; it's His divine power giving us all things that we need. So God is giving us, through his power, everything we need in life and the future. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. By which we have been given to, which has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. That through these, you may be partakers of the divine nature. You may be a partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So Peter is saying that we can be partakers of the same nature as God. And we can have everything we need in this life. We have, we can we actually have everything we need in this life and in for, for heaven. And forgetting to heaven, everything we need through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, through the knowledge of God. And it's a, it's a theme that, that Peter emphasizes throughout this epistle is knowledge. It's mentioned 15 times. Purely by knowledge, the knowledge of God, we have all these things. We have everything we need to life for life, everything we need for eternity, and we have we can become partakers in God's divine, the divine nature of God. And it's not by anything um, we have done. It's by the precious faith that we have and God's righteousness. So God has given us all this. He's given it all to us. 
and it's amazing. And if we remember nothing else, we remember that, that we are actually partakers in the nature, the divine nature of God, and he's giving everything we need in life. So in the practical day-to-day life, the practical struggles of life, God has given us everything we need. And he's given us everything we need for godliness, for the future, for living a godly life. Everything. He's given us the whole lot. And how has he given it? Through the knowledge of, of God. By knowing God. By knowing God, we, get, we receive all these things. So if we remember nothing else, remember this. This year, if you decide, I want to know, I want God, I want to know that divine nature. I want to know um, everything I need. I want to have that everything I need in life and, and, for, and for heaven and for living a godly life. The key is to know God and to know Jesus. That's the key. Okay. The knowledge through the knowledge of him, through the knowledge of him, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our, our Lord. So that is the key. If one thing you resolve to do this year is to know God better, it will be the be- one of the best resolutions you can make is to know God better. Because if you know God better, all these benefits will follow. You will be a partaker of the divine nature, God's divine nature. You will have everything you need for this life and, and for holiness, for godliness. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. But when we hear all this, we can be greatly encouraged, which is super, and I hope we are. But we can also feel a bit fraudulent, as I said. You know, that's not that's not my experience. I don't I don't feel like I am a partaker in the divine nature. I feel like I'm a partaker in the sinful nature. I don't feel like I have everything I need that pertains to life and godliness. And that's a natural, you know, you, you can feel like a bit of a fraud. And I know certainly I feel like that. I often feel like that, you know, I, I, what I read uh, and what I experience, there, there is a, a, a disconnect. And definitely the devil can come in and can accuse us you know, you're not, you're not a Christian. Look at this. Look at these great claims by Peter. That's not your life. You mustn't be a Christian. So Peter addresses this in the second part of this, this passage. What you're going to look at now. It's the practical outworking of what we read in, in the first class. He says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Giving all diligence, add to your faith. So all of this that we've read comes from our faith. It is purely our faith 
by our faith in God, by our faith in the cross, the finished work of Jesus in the cross, we are partakers of the divine nature. We have everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. Purely by our faith, what Peter calls our precious faith, we are uh, we have a like precious faith. All of that comes by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. That's where it all comes from. It doesn't come from any works that we have done. But Peter exhorts the believers and he exhorts us, he encourages us to add to this faith several things. It doesn't mean by adding these things you are going to be saved. But it does mean that the faith leads to other things. It is, as in James says, faith without work, faith without works is dead. So the faith gives us the entitlement to be partakers in divine nature. It gives us gives us all we need um, for, for life and for godliness through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, through the knowledge of God. By knowing God, we have all of these things. Because we know God through faith, through what Jesus done on the cross, we can come to know God. But, he says, for this very reason, because we have all this, giving all dil diligence, add to your faith, virtue, the virtue knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. So Peter is saying faith is not just a theoretical thing. It's not just something we read in the scripture and we believe and that's the end of it. He's saying for this very reason, giving all diligence, add all these things. But there's a seven, there's a seven components to add and their virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. It says, for if you abound, if these things are yours and, in, and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you have faith, you believe in, in Jesus, you have the knowledge of Jesus. If you don't do any of these things, you're going to be barren. You're going to be fruitless. But that's not what Peter is saying. We're to do. We're to be diligent. We're to be diligent. It says, whoever, whoever doesn't do these things is blind and has forgotten the sins from which they're cleansed. You see, at the time, there were people going around saying that once they were twisting, they were twisting basically the gospel. And they were saying, you know, once you're a Christian, you can do with whatever, whatever you, pretty much whatever you want. And um, you have freedom. And they were twisting Paul's words. Paul was saying, we have freedom in Christ. 
you know, freedom from the law. <laughs> right? If it, you know, we don't have to observe the law anymore, we can do what we want. But that's not that. That was a twisting um, of the gospel. Faith, as James says, faith without works is is, is dead. In, in 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 fact, if we have this faith, all these things will um, will be a natural response. And that's why he says, for this very reason. He says, and here, then we come to verse 10, which is arguably quite a controversial verse. It says, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. So Peter is talking about making our call and election sure by de- by doing these things, by being diligent and doing these things. And it seems, in a sense, to contradict what we know about our um, salvation. Our salvation is by faith. As Peter said in the beginning, he says, obtain the precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and Jesus. It's our faith in Jesus, our faith in God and his righteousness that we have righteousness. That's how we're saved. And yet he says, make your call and your election secure by being diligent. By being diligent to do what? To do all these things that were listed, the seven things virtue, self-control, perseverance, um, brotherly kindness, godliness, and love. Do all these things to make your election and calling secure. So what is is Peter talking about there? To go back to what I said earlier about... You can feel a fraud. You see these things. And the reality of them in your life, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like you're a partaker of the divine nature. It doesn't feel like you've all things pertaining to life and godliness. And you're reading it and going, Am I am I a Christian? Sometimes people think I'm a Christian, you know, and, and the devil is, is quick to come in and you know, ah no, no, you're not a Christian. But we know it's not based on what we do. Our, our salvation is based on the, on, the, on the cross, the finished work of Jesus. However, however, we can be unsure. We can be unsure of our faith. No matter how much we read the Bible, how much we read the Gospels, we can still be unsure if we are not putting the gospel into application in in our life. So when he says, make your call and election sure, I believe what this means, and, and this is what most commentators will say, is that by practicing self-control, by practicing virtue, godliness, brotherly kindness, perseverance and love 
we experience what is promised. We experience participation in God's divine nature. We experience the joy of the Lord. In John, a passage that we, we've, we've looked at quite a lot in the last year or so, um, <clears throat> Jesus says, if you keep, in John chapter 15, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. So maybe maybe you're, you're a Christian, maybe you're a new Christian, or you're an old Christian, it doesn't matter. You don't feel like you have that joy in your life. You don't feel the love of God in your life. And therefore you start going, oh, no, am I, am I saved? Or, you know, and there's, there's a lot, there's been a lot of, down through the years, there's been a lot of you know, people worrying about, oh, you know, are you once saved? You're always saved. And, you know, you can't lose your salvation. And I think often, the people who most people who most worry about this are often people who are not walking with the Lord. They're not walking with the Lord, and so they do they, they do have an attack on on the, the the assurance of of their salvation. They don't have the joy. They don't have the love of God in the, in their hearts, and so they're, they're kind of going, "Gee, I'm not sure. I'm not sure." And so I want to be sure. So I want to I want to be sure by by, by finding in God's work, which is right. But there is also an assurance, a fullness of assurance of faith that comes by being, by abiding in Jesus. And we abide in Jesus by keeping his commandments. And when we keep his commandments, we abide in his love and our joy will be complete. So, The divine, partaking the divine nature, having everything we need for life, comes through the knowledge of Jesus, knowledge of God. So if we want, if we want to have that full life, we need to know God, we need to know Jesus. And obviously one way, and we, we often talk about it to, to do that, is by reading God's word, spending time in God's word. And that is so important. And that's one of the, the seven aspects here that's touched on is knowledge. To add to your faith, knowledge. But there's other very practical aspects, self-control, perseverance, uh, brotherly kindness, godliness, which give us a more rounded Christian life. And in a sense, gives us a true knowledge of God. So in other words, it's not just, we don't just know God by reading his word. We know God by reading and obeying his word. That's when we fully come to a knowledge of God. And that's when we have the greater assurance of our faith. Our faith is certain. 
but sometimes we're not certain. Our fate is sure because it's, it's what, what happened on the cross 2,000 years ago. The righteousness of Jesus is, 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 our, is our certainty. But our knowledge, our knowledge of God comes from one, reading his word, but two, obeying his word. So, for this year, my personal, my personal goal for this year is I don't want to feel like a frog. <laughs> I want to know, I want to know the, the divine nature, to be a partaker of the divine nature of God. I don't want it to, to be a, a, a verse that's written there that I read and go, it doesn't feel like that for me. I want to know that I have everything that I need for life and that it's in, God, it's in the knowledge of God. So I want to know God better this year. And to know God better means to read his word, but it also means to apply his word in my life. And the one resolution I'm going to make this year, and it's, it's in, um, it's mentioned, the word is mentioned twice in this passage, is to be diligent. To be diligent. And it's a word, it's not, it's not used as often nowadays, perhaps, as it was in the past. You don't hear it as often, because everything, you know, it, things are kind of instantaneous. You don't need to be as diligent, perhaps, as you used to be. But, but Peter encourages us, exhorts us to be diligent. Be diligent. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Be diligent. Add to, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and the brotherly kindness, love. So I do feel this, this year for me anyway, God has asked me to be diligent, not just to rest on the promises of God, which I know are true, but to be diligent in obeying God's word. When I obey God's word, I will know, I will know him better. And then I will be a partaker of the divine nature. And I believe that's not just for me. I believe it's, it's for uh, obviously it's for everybody but it, particularly I, I do feel it for, for me to be diligent I think back on those the guys who invested in that that company you know there's there's a, a, a um, an expression in business called due diligence you know before you you commit to something before you commit to something you do due diligence you you're careful you you make sure that it's right. These investors who invested in, in this company, this fraudulent company, they didn't do due diligence. They just kind of went, oh yeah, it sounds great, let's invest in it. And for us to have that surety, that surety of our calling, of our salvation, uh, to know the love of God, to know the joy of God, we do need to be diligent. We can't just 
go, oh yeah, it's in God's word. I can just, I can just relax. You need to be diligent, as Peter says, to to obey God's word. So that's my that's my word for the year. Be diligent, and um, I hope I hope it's uh, I hope it, it it encourages encourages you as well. Because uh, I do believe this year God really does want to uh, do great things. Uh, through, through us as a church I really do believe that um, but we do need to be diligent we really do Amen Father I thank you uh, for your word Lord I thank you that you have given us everything that we need this year everything Lord this year you've given us through the knowledge of Jesus Christ your son and Father, I just pray for each of us that you will help us. Lord, be diligent, Lord, this year. Be, be diligent, Lord, in obeying your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.